So what we have been trying to push DWSD to do is to acknowledge their past, acknowledge the past of the department, not not necessarily, you know, themselves, the department, and with a full understanding of what that effect had, not only the shutoffs, but also the narrative that was built afterwards, right? So that saying, you know, Black folks didn't want to pay for their water because they just didn't feel like it, that they could, but they didn't want to, or just making it a very racialized narrative rather than really addressing the root of the problem. So starting, even starting with that was what we have been trying to push them to do. Um, we don't have that yet. For the research that we did for mapping the water crisis, for example, our researchers had to FOIA them over and over and over again and still did not get the complete picture. In our first episode, we talked about the Detroit Water and Sewerage Department's history of cutting its residents' water off, the deep hurt those residents faced, and the systemic factors that left Detroit's water system in such an unstable position in the first place. But systemic factors or not, DWSD were the ones that cut the water off. And the shutoffs are just one part of a long history of distrust between the community and the department. A history that makes moving forward difficult, especially when the community feels the department hasn't taken any accountability for it. So as the department implements the new lifeline rates, which in many ways are an answer to the community affordability demands of the last decade, what stands in the way of trust? My name is Evan Kanji, and this is All of the Water in the World and None of It to Drink. I mean, it's not only just the water infrastructure, the water unaffordable rates. It's just, it's distrust. It's a lack of trust, not only with the water that's coming out of your tap, even if your pipes are replaced, it's, you know, and it's with the, the folks who govern, it's with, there's just no, no trust. And, and it's, it's the effort to rebuild it isn't necessarily there. I think maybe on paper and, you know, publicly facing their that's what they're trying to show, at least here in, in Detroit. You know, DWSD is is really, I'll be careful with my words here. Victoria, the policy analyst with We the People of Detroit, is far from alone. After a decade of shutoffs, most of the people I interviewed had little patience left with the water department. There's a general sense that they're out to get people, to treat city residents punitively rather than with compassion. When Ms. Daniqua was telling me about her experience getting her water turned back on, her frustration started to come through. And it's almost predatory because they want to charge you all this stuff to get it reconnected. I think you have to do 150 deposit or something now. It's horrible. What do you mean a deposit? And then they charge you a late fee every month. Right. That should be against the law. Yeah. If I don't have to pay the bill, how am I going to pay a late fee? So it's right. just... Ugh. Just keeps stuff stacking, stacking on up. You. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. So yeah. I can't imagine someone who's really have their stuff shut off and they really don't have any resources to help them pay that bill. Mm-hmm. And what hurts is when you know these big, rich companies have these big, huge, enormous bills that they don't pay. What Ms. Daniqua brought up is the sense among residents, activists, and academics that the city was targeting residents first, and in particular, low-income residents. This came up over and over in interviews. Here's Michael the academic and author writing a book on Detroit and Flint. 
it was never clear how much was the city was indebted to, right? So it really depended on how they counted and what they counted, right? So for example, you know, they would they would say, oh, all of these folks are back paid for water. And we, you know, we have to, and, and we are owed millions of dollars. But what they did was very strategic in that they went after households and 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 so they so the city of Detroit, you know, owed not the, the, the fairgrounds owed the city millions of dollars on 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 overdue water bills. Illage owed them, right? So through whatever the Ford Field or or the casino or or the Detroit Red Wings Arena owed back pay on water bills, but they never accumulated those costs. During the shutoff crisis, the city specifically targeted low-income residents for shutoffs. Many large businesses, such as a Coca-Cola bottling plant, Ford Field, where the Detroit Lions play, and the state fairgrounds, had debts of hundreds of thousands of dollars, but never received so much as a shutoff notice. These examples were widely publicized during the height of shutoffs. There is a strong sense in the people I talk to that the city is out to get them, and that people who aren't in their position, who aren't low income, who aren't black, who don't live in poorer neighborhoods, don't get the same kind of treatment that they do. Detroit would be far from alone in targeting its predation towards its poorest residents. A 2019 report by the NAACP Legal Defense Fund documented the practice in Cleveland of prioritizing shutoffs not by amount of debt, but by how close they are to other properties or households with debt. Effectively, what this meant is that in Cleveland, shutoffs were prioritized in majority low-income communities, where more people are likely to be slightly behind on their bills than larger shutoffs, such as large corporations or entities, elsewhere. Targeting communities like this isn't unique to shutoffs. Foreclosures are just another example. In episode one, we talked a little bit about foreclosures in Detroit and how the city and county targeted low-income residents and illegally overassessed their property values to boost the city's budget in the short term. Many residents don't see the broader city government as that separate from the water department. Several residents brought up how connected water issues are to other issues, like housing, that the city also has a lot of power over. It's just a lot of challenges with the house and piece that go hand in hand. So that's, mm, that's like I said, that's a whole other conversation. It's <laughs> 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 a whole other conversation. But this lack of trust goes far deeper than the ways that the water department is actively harmful towards the community. Nearly everyone I interviewed brought up an example of a time where they felt the water department or the city could have showed up for them and they were instead left to fend for themselves. One of those times was the catastrophic flooding that took place in 2021. In southwest Detroit, entire streets are flooded with cars trapped, basements flooded and worse. Folks living uh, on one block of Western Street just off Michigan Avenue have been dealing with a lot over these past couple of weeks. Tim Pamplin reports for some enough is enough. Since June 26, we've been showing you the shocking pictures of streets flooded, basements flooded with thousands of people on the east side of the city and the gross points, hundreds of millions in damage. Heavy rain fell, but Great Lakes Water Authority pumps failed to drain sewer systems. A poor man's nightmare. <laughs> I had enough. Done. Gotta get the out of here. He shows me this dumpster in his driveway from two weeks ago. 
Yep. Everything in the basement had to be replaced. As his basement fills up, it's about three feet of sewer and storm water. I just got through buying a new water tank and I just got through Large areas of Detroit were badly flooded after a huge rainstorm that overflowed the sewer system. A problem created by an aging system, decades of urban planning centered around creating more impervious surfaces, or ones that don't let rainwater soak through, and climate change. Basements across the neighborhood were drenched with sewer water for days, but the city's response was anything but compassionate. The bad flood we had. Used to have people that had water in their basements. They're not being assisted, they're not being helped. Mm -hmm. They give them buckets and mops. Why? Really? That's not, yes. Wait, that's tell me more about people. that. It's so horrible. They gave people buckets and mops and cleaning supplies. That was not the responsibility of the owners of those houses or the renters of those yeah. houses to clean that. This is how horrible city of Detroit, Wayne County, the state of Michigan should not have allowed it. So now the they want to charge others for the, the pipes. No, you are the municipality. You all should pay for that, not the poor people that can't afford this anyway. It's crazy. I'm like, yeah. I want to be a homeowner, but at what cost? For many, the floods were devastating. Larry had just come back from 26 years in prison for a wrongful conviction, and he'd moved into his mom's basement just a couple months before the flood. Where did you find housing when you got out first? Where my mom, my mom, I came to stay with my mom, mm -hmm. and then the the the, the our, all the basements in the community backed up and flooded. Yeah. So that was like the area where I stayed at, and all my items was lost. So in turn, I went to stay with somebody. It came like my sister in the place backed up twice. Mm -hmm. Our mine back, ours backed up. But my sisters and me came like back to back. Larry's sister, Day, saw a lack of ownership and of accountability for failure in the water department's response. What do you feel like this community is owed? Everything. We're owed so much. Just, I'll just speak like until the last two years when we had those major floods where it rained a lot, we had the flooding. My home was greatly impacted by it, like the 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 sewer in the front stopped draining, it stopped pumping. That's the water department's issue, but they, they've never taken accountability for it. They've never issued any help. My basement is still messed up from that, but they never reimbursed, they never helped, they never anything. My, my water bill definitely didn't get lowered. They didn't take anything off of it. They didn't, they didn't take any accountability for it at all. Water <laughs> department did absolutely nothing. Wow. They did nothing. They did nothing. They so sent what, us a letter saying that it wasn't their fault. But even though I have a, a drain directly in front of my house and video that shows the water did not go down it. For residents of Southwest, this flood created far more than a minor inconvenience. The flood water was raw sewage water, backed up from the city's overwhelmed aging combined sewer system, which treats all storm water along with wastewater. When major storms happen, the system gets overwhelmed and city operators either need to discharge the waste into the Detroit River or let the system back up. Often, it ends up being both. For Day, the flood meant a lot of loss. At the time, my brother-in-law was staying with us and he lived in our basement. So furniture, electronics, washer, dryer, deep freezers, refrigerators, all of his clothes, our couch, our rugs, all of our 
things we were storing, like like my mom passed. So everything that I had for my mom's was down in the basement. It, it was ruined. I had to get rid of everything that I had left of my mom and, you know, our kids' clothing. We're still recouping on um, bedding, all of our covers and sheets and towels. We lost a lot. We lost a lot. And to this day, we still don't use our basement. The only thing we go down there for is to wash and dry clothes, but it's not functioning. Mold began growing in Day's basement, and they had to strip everything out for their own health. Day lost all of her equipment for her new small business in beauty. But when she sought out compensation, the city never stepped up. No one took accountability for it, but we're left with the burning of it and a high water bill. <laughs> Day was far from alone. More people unloading on the Great Lakes Water Authority. This woman lives on the east side, saying the June sewage backup was overwhelming. With a force so strong that it blows a washing machine in the air. And in tears, she said she can't... Nobody I talked to who experienced the flood was able to get compensation from the city, either for damages to the property or damages to their health. A few got very limited amounts of relief from FEMA. But when I spoke to people, the overwhelming feeling was abandonment by a city that couldn't accommodate their needs. Of millions in damage. Heavy rain fell, but Great Lakes Water Authority pumps failed to drain sewer systems. We do not ever sign up to have our basements used as a retaining center for when you can process the sewage. During a break in the board meeting, we attempted to talk with Sue McCormick, the CEO. This is her last day on the job with the authority. No answers, no accountability with us. So can I have a moment of your time, please? Oh, no, I'm sorry, not right now. You don't have five minutes? No, not right now, thank you. Worse, it turns out that it's the sewer and drainage bills driving the affordability crisis for Detroit water. According to data from DWSD published in Planet Detroit, 74% of the average 2021 water bill were charges related to sewage and drainage. this isn't necessarily the city's fault. Sewer drainage plays a long history in suburban attempts to take financial control of the Detroit Water and Sewers Department. In 1977, a federal judge named John Fikens was given broad power over DWSD, in part because of a recent combined sewer overflow. Over the next 35 years, Fikens gradually shifted more and more of the regional costs of the system onto Detroit. In 1999, Vikings signed an order making Detroit residents responsible for 83% of the costs of new sewer system improvements that were being built in the suburbs. For systems in the city, residents had to pay the whole cost. And when DWSD lost the ability to set regional rates to the Great Lakes Water Authority, a broader regional authority during bankruptcy, a disproportionate amount of the sewer costs were again placed on city residents' shoulders. Over 40% of the regional sewer costs are now expected to be covered by Detroit residents, despite making up just a quarter of the residents served by the Great Lakes Water Authority. The city's response to the floods shows us something important. When bigger structures like FEMA or the Great Lakes Water Authority fail the city, it's the city that takes the brunt of the blame. From a resident's perspective, it's only fair that they do. They're the front line and they're the ones directly accountable to residents. From DWSD's perspective, though, they're between a rock and a hard place and being seen in an unfair light for things that aren't their fault. But defensive responses, like the letter they sent Day excusing themselves of any responsibility, don't help build the trust they need to move forward. 
through these interviews, broken trust became a theme. On top of not trusting the department during a catastrophic situation, many don't trust DWSD's most basic service, drinking the water that comes out of their tap. Here's what Larry had to say. How common do you feel like it is for people to buy bottled water instead of drinking tap? 95, 96, 97%. Of people buy bottled water? Hell yeah. I mean, with people around here that I know, because people who only got a little bit of money Mm-hmm. I still go buy a bottle of water versus getting it out the tap. Mm-hmm. I was over somebody's house and I got some water out the tap and they took the cup out of my hand, poured the water out, pointed in the refrigerator at some Fiji water. Do you buy bottle of water or drink tap? I got I got a um, bottle of water. I drink tap too at times. Mm-hmm. I didn't hit a little tap water. I ain't going to be like, no, I ain't drink no tap water. Yeah, I brush my teeth with it. So I didn't hit me a little sip. But if I don't have to, I got um, bottled water from cases. I'm with the Jones, and I'm keeping up with the Joneses. Miss Barbara, the elderly Westside resident, felt similar. Do you drink your tap water? No, I don't. And then I would say about 30% drink bottled water because we are like, in this neighborhood, I think it was at one time better economically as far as people with jobs and different things. You could see the difference in, at one time, we was all homeowners. Do you know anyone who drinks tap water by choice, even if they have the money to buy bottled water? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they would prefer, they're the ones that can kind of afford it and have a little more income would drink the bottled water. But those that have less money, can't. you don't have any, any choice but to drink. If I had more than one, person in my house drinking water and this and that, I would basically boil my water and put it in the refrigerator. When I was asking Larry about whether he trusts the city tap water, he called up Day, his sister, and the conversation they had, I felt like pretty much captured the situation. I'm a bad person because I be drinking bottled water and I feed be sexy water from the tap. No. Because sometimes I gave sometimes I gave bottled water though too, I be wanting to feel like I feel. I don't know. I drink water out the tap, so I'm saying no. <laughs> See, so you, so you're not one of them scared citizens. Nope. I pay yeah, a water bill. <laughs> no. <laughs> Dave, do you feel like do you feel like it's not common for people to be drinking water out the tap? Oh yeah, I have plenty of people that if if they see you running the water out of the faucet, no, they will not drink it. They will not drink it. So I have bottled water for like our company and stuff, but they will not, people do not drink tap, the water from the tap at no. all. It put a strain on me mentally because I'm scared to drink my water in my household. Mm-hmm. I'm forced to come up with resources and finances mm-hmm. to go outside and purchase. If I'm forced to go out and purchase water outside of me, Right? I think the people should be comfortable enough with their water chain supply that they don't have to question mm. and they don't have to go out and buy water. Where do you think that comes from? Uh, I don't know, but I know the situation in Flint didn't make it any better. <laughs> Flint is just down the road from Detroit, an hour drive north on I-75. In many ways, Flint and Detroit look and feel pretty similar. Both are majority black cities, whose population swelled during the Great Migration and boom of the auto industry. 
Both are proud cities with proud residents, but whose populations have been cut in half over the last 60 years. Both cities are known for their Coney dogs, a local style of hot dog. Although if you ask Flint residents or ask Detroit residents which city's unique local style is better, you'll get a nice argument. The organizing ties between the cities run deep, too. When Flint's water crisis started in 2014, water organizers in Detroit helped organize funding for a youth testing lab there. And the Detroit residents I spoke with see the similarities. Like how, how much does what happened to other cities like Flint, like Benna Harbor, impact people's trust in Detroit water versus how much of it is direct experience, do you think? Girl, you know if it's happening over there, it's happening over here. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right down the street. You for real? Mm-hmm. You ain't know? Girl, they got bold water down here. You know, I don't drink none of that stuff. I got mine in a purifier. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of it is driven. A percentage-wise, I don't know, but this is what I do know. Bad news travel fast. Hot words, scorch, cool words, soothe. So if I'm feeding you information that our everyday nutrient is horrible for you, our everyday, this person, that's the, the, the something that's supposed to sustain us and quench us is not adequate through this method, then... How, how, how can they believe? Like, how can they, how, how? You know what I'm saying? Like, how could a person not be fueled when one out of five people saying that the water ain't good and it's causing people to second guess it, causing you to smell it? Don't get me wrong. I would smell some water and be like, what the fuck is there? For Miss Barbara, the issues in Flint Benna Harbor, Jackson, Mississippi, and other majority black cities were a sign that Detroit's water quality probably wasn't to be trusted either. I don't, I don't um, drink their, you know, um, water. It's like, you think about the Flint incident, so I just buy bottled water. Yes, I buy bottled water. I don't drink their water. After the Flint incident, and then also you see it in Mississippi and stuff like that, and, and you got to use common sense to so what would make it so so better here? The issues in Flint don't feel far away to many Detroiters. Academics like Khalid Osman have documented that in the aftermath of the Flint crisis, residents of shrinking Rust Belt cities perceived their own need for improved water service to be greater than before. To be clear, this perception matches real risks. Lead service lines are still prevalent across Detroit. And while the city and state have started replacement efforts, it's a long, complicated process that will take years. Even for households without lead service lines, lead and cadmium can still be found in galvanized steel, a common piping material with much less widespread programs to replace it. I got some galvanized pipes and what have you. And, you know, like you said, I didn't, you know, I got a few copper pipes when I was, you know, during that time that I had had the big water bills and, and different things. So I got a but I didn't have the whole house copperized. You know, see what I'm saying? I still got galvanized pipes. And worse, over the last several years, testing has revealed high lead levels in the water fountains of many Detroit public schools, sparking community outrage. Contaminated drinking water has been found in almost two thirds of Detroit's public school buildings. Health officials say that out of the 86 that they tested, when the news broke in 2018, 
Camila Beltran was a junior at Castec High School. Now, officials turned off the drinking water in all 106 buildings last month, and that's after lead was detected. I was organizing with other students, mostly within Castec, but also from different schools for the March for Our Lives movement. And so we had previously come together and we created this group called DAM. We came together and we had also been having conversations about water equity and stuff like that within that group before. So when it started to come to light that there was lead in like some schools and then an investigation was happening in other schools to find out, slowly the school started kind of like shutting down water fountains and also putting up signs saying like don't drink the water and stuff like that so definitely we realized that there was something up but much like with other water issues across the city pamela and her co-organizers struggled to get reliable information we did try to have conversations to find out more about the issue but the school wasn't really you know, too transparent with information. The walkout and the strategy was to really call attention. We wanted national attention so that, you know, there could be more permanent solutions. I mean, kind of like really addressing the issue from the root. And so that year we were really nervous because the principal would basically come into our classrooms and be like, hey, so I've heard that some people are gonna be organizing a walkout on count day, which is a really important day because they basically gather funding based on how many people show up on count day. And we chose to do it on count day because although it would seem like kind of bad for the school, they would still be able to get funding. It would just be a little bit harder, but it would just definitely like make it clear that, you know, students were, you know, organizing because normally everybody would show up on count day. But yeah, we ended up making it happen and there were some repercussions. We were kind of nervous that we were going to maybe get expelled, that we were going to see like worse repercussions, but nothing ended up happening. It, it was fine, but we did actually bring a lot of attention to it. In large part because of the efforts of DAM, the Detroit Public Schools ended up installing 500 water purifying stations across schools. But five years later, some of the folks I talked to still remembered the contamination and cited it as just another reason they couldn't trust the tap. Like the kids couldn't even drink water at school. My grandkids couldn't even drink water in, at, at the school. Altogether, the water department's painful history in the community, combined with the way they've responded to legitimate issues over the years, left almost everyone I talked to with deep resentment towards not just the actions of the water department, but towards the water department as an institution itself. For Day, as well as for most of the people I interviewed, the distrust started to boil over as we kept talking. When you think about water issues in the city of Detroit, like, I don't know, shutoffs, like people not trusting the tap, all that, who do you feel like, who do you feel like deserves the blame for that? Um, the people who are in higher positions. I feel like it's it's all a scam and it's all a lie. They lie and they scam. They scam and they lie. And instead of any one person taking the blame, they point the finger at someone else. I feel like people generally feel the same way as you, like don't trust the water department, don't trust the city. Yes. Mm -hmm. What? Do you, where do you think that started? Uh, I mean, from people being caught up in lies over over the years, you know. Oh, I didn't do it, they did it. Oh, I knew about it, but they were supposed to handle it. Like I just said, the, the blame getting tossed around when all actuality is everyone's fault and everyone's responsibility. 
once you've been lied to so many times by different officials and different government agencies and things like that, you don't know what's, what's fact and what's fiction. What do you feel like it would take for people to trust the city or the water department? Like what, the would, what would they have to do to like- Tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Just tell the truth. Good, bad, or indifferent. Just tell the truth. Let us know what's going on so that we know that we can trust whatever decision that you're making. Because ultimately it impacts us. I feel like most of the people that make the decisions on our behalf don't even live in the city. So who are you to make a decision for us? That impacts us. Just tell the truth. They cover it up, they lie about it, they put it off on the next person. And then usually the person that goes down for it isn't even the one that blamed for it. <laughs> I would say 99% of the, of the um, people in this neighborhood would probably say that the water company is flunking on um, their responsibility of of doing their own job. They don't have a they don't have an engagement with actual people. Sure. So only they care is money. The only thing they seem to care about is money. Mm-hmm. They don't care about the numbers, the so-called numbers. Those are human beings. Yeah. We have families. We have hearts. We get out here. We do the work. We go to school. We do everything, and you don't have a heart for us, and that makes no sense to me. For me, harm is the mental anguish it causes. You feel like a failure. You've done nothing wrong. You go to work every day. You pay your bills. It has a mental anguish, a mental toll on you, your family, your children. Because they're like, oh, this is normal. It is not normal. This is abuse. My daughter taught me that. She said, Mama, did you know poverty is abuse? I was like, what? It is. It causes all this mental anguish that's unnecessary. And when you ask for help, you get your hand bit by some viciousness. And I'm even gonna say a dog is painful. Oh, but I'm used to the pain. I can protect my hand better. I've getting bitten so many times. It's normal for me. It shouldn't be that way. It's, it's a really high mental and emotional toll. And people don't wanna talk about that. And even in the limited collaboration between community groups and the department, this long history of mistrust shows. We've had to spend months and months really defending our position, separating ourselves from Mr. Brown, making sure people don't convolute what has happened into a relationship that doesn't exist yet. As I tell people, we're not holding hands or kissing, we're just walking in the same direction. So I'm hoping that walk in the same direction is going to get us to water affordability. So as Detroit starts to put in place the new Lifeline plan, which for people under 200% of the poverty line would significantly lower water rates and tie them to income, what looks good on paper isn't always something that people can trust. It's not necessarily, you know, we want to be, we want to be careful about how, um, how much we believe their intentions, um, whether it's just to keep, get this lifeline passed, whether it's just to get us on board because they know without We the People of Detroit's support, it will be very difficult to move. We will still continue to try. Uh, we'll still work with them, and we'll. But of course, you know, keeping our cards close at hand with, and uh, um, you know, community will always come first, and that protecting them will always come first. In our next episode, we'll dive more into the city's new Lifeline program, how this lack of trust in the water department and lack of suburban support could get in the way, and how people are feeling about it right now. This is all of the water in the world and none of it to drink.
Throughout this podcast, there's a couple things you can do to support the ongoing work on this issue. First and foremost, you can donate to We the People of Detroit at their website, wethepeopleofdetroit.com, to support direct water relief for affected individuals. And if you're wondering what role we can play in pushing the state and federal government for policy to support addressing this issue on a deeper level, we'll talk about that and some action steps more in our last episode.